1: 20 starts right now with breaking news on the Time Warner and AT&T deal. Let's get to Leslie Picker in the newsroom for all the details. Leslie.
2: Hey, Melissa, that's right. The DOJ officially filing a lawsuit this evening seeking to block AT&T's acquisition of Time Warner. Challenges to vertical mergers, which involve purchases along the supply chain as opposed to competitors, are rare. The government has never won a case against a vertical merger, according to Harvard. The Justice Department plans to argue that this deal would harm competition and thwart innovation. DOJ officials familiar with the matter seem confident about being able to prove their case. Last week, Megan Rahim, he's the assistant attorney general for the antitrust division, gave a speech outlining his views on vertical mergers. And in it, he said the behavioral remedies were largely ineffective measures of patrolling large transactions. That said, so far, not a single State Attorney General has decided to join this case, and AT&T said in a statement, quote, today's DOJ lawsuit is a radical and inexplicable departure from decades of antitrust precedent. Vertical mergers like this one are routinely approved because they benefit consumers without removing any competitor from the market. We see no legitimate reason for our merger to be treated differently. Now, AT&T and Time Warner will be holding their own press conference in about 30 minutes, Melissa.
1: Leslie, do we have any color as to what the actual basis of
2: the lawsuit is? So what they say is it's all about the consumer, that this deal in particular would harm the consumer, would raise prices on the consumer, would limit the amount of content that they have access to as a result of this deal. So they are using the same principles that are oftentimes used in terms of horizontal mergers, where they look at the consumer and what it means for pricing and applying it to this deal in particular. They also look at the size of it. They say it's a $108 billion deal, and that one that spans a large part of uh, of the market.
1: All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker back in the newsroom. Let's trade this here on the desk. What Leslie is saying implies uh, that perhaps the Department of Justice believes that there could be preferential treatment and actual price increases favoring their own content, which happening. would include HBO, which would it's include Showtime. not happening Showtime. right now.
3: Let me tell you, if you're an AT&T wireless customer, you're getting offers for better pricing on DirecTV, which they bought a few years ago. You're getting offers. I'm already getting offers on HBO for free if you're an AT&T wireless unlimited customer. So if they have all this content, you think they're going to be raising prices on all of these services? They're going for the bundle. They're trying to get it together, and they're going up and down vertically. So to me, it's a preposterous argument.
1: Yeah. I mean, especially in a day and age where it seems like it's a race to the bottom in terms of pricing for content. Prices are going down for content, giving consumers a lot of choice these days.
4: Consumer, you know, Karen says this all the time, the consumer is the winner in in all of these, seemingly in all of these deals. So, listen, I'm not a a lawyer by any stretch, and I don't understand this as well as Dan probably does, but I'll say this. No, the the truth, is this a political thing? I mean, that's really what it comes down to, because I don't think it has far greater effects or far more ramifications on the, on the broader market. With that said, how do you trade these stocks? Time Warner has now effectively round-tripped the level, I think it was October of 16 when this deal originally was announced. Stock was trading about 85, 86 and a half, 87. Now, I think it's getting interesting to buy Time Warner on its own merits right now.
1: All right, uh, for more on this breaking story, let's bring in our own David Faber, who's uh, been doing a lot of reporting on this deal. He joins us tonight on the Fast Line. David, uh, what's the latest?
5: You know, Melissa, I mean, listen, it's still a shock, I think, to some people, despite the fact that they've been preparing for it now for a couple of weeks, um, given what we've already heard you guys say, and, and I think what is just the general lack of understanding of the, of the grounding of the DOJ's case. That said, uh, DOJ officials are confident uh, in um, in the facts and the law. They say that they will prevail in court. Uh, despite the presence of no attorneys general uh, joining them in this lawsuit, which is typical, though you know sometimes there are cases where it's not the case, Halliburton uh, and Baker Hughes uh, amongst them, but there were a lot fewer states that would have been affected by that deal than this one. They approached 18 state AGs and have come up empty at this part at this point. But they continue to make the basic argument somehow that Direct TV's nationwide footprint uh, would pose a competitive threat. To others, uh, and it, I guess it goes to this idea somehow that Turner content is must have. Now that's not clear to me. Maybe HBO content must have, and that somehow AT and T's incentive would be to prevent people from seeing it, which again is kind of a strange argument to be making. But that seems to be the one of the central arguments the government is going to make is that in a way it's must have, and that somehow AT and T will discriminate against consumers for content we typically thought they wanted to distribute as fully as possible and by the way are contractually obligated under certain deals to distribute as fully as possible
6: david it's karen let me ask you something so this deal's sort of been blowing apart for maybe two weeks or so now do you have any sense that there was any backdoor discussions or negotiations or any attempt at trying to settle here
5: i think there was karen i mean you know you know th- there was a i think an unwillingness on the part of a t t and they and Randall Stevenson said this publicly at the DealBook conference a couple of weeks ago, to sell Turner or DirecTV uh, or to do anything with CNN, although, of course, that was in dispute in terms of what he may have offered or what was asked. Um, But there was potentially some attempt to do something structurally that might have involved perhaps, um, you know, regional sports networks or things of that nature. It's unclear whether that was truly the case um the behavioral route is what this was so close to going down as you well know we've reported it was september when they thought they had a deal that was days away agreement with the staff for behavioral remedies that might have been a bit tougher than Comcast and NBC universal but nonetheless we're going to be agreed to uh and and it fell apart del raheem came in and here we are with a lawsuit uh being being filed today
1: you know, David, uh, this lawsuit comes at an interesting time in the media industry in, in terms of talks of consolidation. Just last week, you interviewed Liberty Media CEO Greg Maffei. He had some interesting comments on the chilling effect this could have. Let's uh, play that sod again first.
4: How many subscription services are consumers going to step up for? So when you see things like Disney for Fox, don't know. But my guess is that was about getting scaled, trying to increase their opportunity around digital. For Disney. Uh, DTC yes. for Disney, for a direct consumer right. offering. Throw that in, though, with a challenge, you know, the government, by entering into the Time Warner AT&T merger discussions, has thrown all that a wrench into anyone's plans. I don't know how you could announce a big media deal today and have any confidence you know exactly what the government's going to do.
1: You reported on a lot of deal talks in recent days, David. Are all those talks on hold?
5: You know, the uh, the rules of the road have changed, Melissa, and so I think everybody's going to pay close attention, not just in the media business, but generally speaking about vertical integration, for which, frankly, most people believe there was not a typical antitrust response. Um, And it doesn't mean that the next vertical deal is going to be challenged. Far from it. But is it going to give people pause? Without a doubt. And by the way... I mean, let's just deal with something here and now. Our parent company, as we reported last week, in talks to at least in, uh, see if it could work a deal to acquire the entertainment assets of Fox. Well, it's very hard to imagine, given this action by the DOJ, that Fox would ever put itself in a position to sign a deal in any any few weeks, let's call it, or something along those lines, without having any ideas as to whether that would have a chance of pan- passing antitrust muster. So there's an impact right there that I can give you, certainly that you could view as negatively, at least for Comcast's attempts to acquire those assets from Fox.
1: It'll be hard to imagine Comcast engaging in, in any sort of major deal at this point. But I'm wondering, David, does this play into the hands? If Disney were still interested in the Fox assets, as you have reported, even though the talks, as you have reported, have ended, could that play into Disney's hands? Because would be that would be a, a horizontal merger, in theory, if it acquired some of Fox's assets.
5: Yeah, the Disney has a much easier go of it, it would seem, when it comes to um, the uh, purchase of those content assets to a certain extent, because the distribution assets in question it would be acquiring are all international. That said, Comcast has great interest in Fox's international distribution assets as well, which certainly would not be part of this conversation given they're outside the, outside the country. But Disney is in a potentially better position when it comes to antitrust, no doubt about it, and maybe in a better position overall, uh, Melissa. And they are still talking. This is still kind of going on, as I reported on Friday, low intensity to some extent, but we'll see where it ends up in terms of Fox uh, and those talks. But no doubt this decision by the U.S. government does have an impact if you're Comcast or if you're Fox and the way you're thinking about taking antitrust risk in terms of selling part of your business.
1: All right. David, thanks for phoning in. Appreciate it. Sure, thing, David Faber. uh, Pete Nadirian, what do you make of all this? How how could you trade this? Well, I think in terms of the Disney
7: deal, and David addressed it right there, he talked about its limited assets, and he talked about it mostly being international, so that actually looks like a little bit smoother transition if that were to happen. So that makes sense to me, and we have obviously seen this pop out of Disney from 98 to about 103, 104, Mm -hmm. somewhere in that range. The one thing I can tell you about the option market, what we're seeing and reading and everything we're seeing right now, and Dan can back me up on this, Time Warner, they do not expect this deal to go through. The options market, were all over this early on. This thing had this great run to the upside. And over the last month and a half, as this has slowly gotten more and more criticism going in front of it, it doesn't seem like people right now expect the deal to go through. And they are actually looking for maybe AT&T to rally off of that because AT&T took a little bit of
1: it.
6: I wonder if they sue and if Time Warner sues and wins, does that open the floodgates for all those kinds of deals like that? Is the precedent set that, okay, it's not anti you know, you haven't violated right, exactly. antitrust rules, you have at it
1: off to the races.
6: Yeah. Comcast, go go buy yes. content.
3: Well, you, you know, it's funny, on Friday after Viacom was making new 52-week lows, you saw the reversal there. I mean, the space might have gotten near-term bottomish, you know, for all intents and purposes. So if you get into a situation where it looks like the government doesn't really have a good case, the bottom may be in, because to your point, they, they just ran that deco of all those different media brands and everything like that. It's going to be a game of musical chairs. Um, so to me, I, the one thing I don't really get is like the notion that you would have be able to have some of these horizontal deals if you can't have the vertical deal. The vertical deal is going to get done, the Justice Department is going to lose, and and then you're going to have all this stuff, and then they're going to come back for the wireless assets that we have been talking about. In a while. But what if they don't win? They're, let's just, let's just entertain.
1: <laughs> let's just entertain that thought. Because what are the this ramifications is not of Republican that? what Republican
3: departments of justice do. They do a lot. They of allow those. these deals. They allow the vertical deals. You know what I mean? It's the horizontal ones. So to me, it just seems a little ridiculous. We're living in a time, a post-truth time of ridiculousness. This is just one more. No, it's just one more thing. It'll get through. We, we
1: sort of, you know. I don't want to say mock Dan. We sort of question what he's saying, but take a listen to what the president said back in October of 2016.
8: AT&T is buying Time Warner and thus CNN, a deal we will not approve in my administration because it's too much concentration of power in the hands of too few.
1: There you have it. He couldn't be any more explicit. Are we really surprised that this deal is, that there is a lawsuit that AT&T is facing right now? I am
4: sort of surprised because, you know, when your campaign, that was in October. the ele- October of 2016, so as yes. when he, he said a lot of things during the campaign, uh, the president, that he sort of uh, softened on now that he's president of the United States. So am I surprised? Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised. I would have thought he would soften his stance.
3: Well, he, he also said that they were going to ban Muslims from the country and, you know, that it wasn't upheld by lots of courts on three different occasions. I'm just saying. So he said a lot of kind of nasty things based on his own political biases that, that haven't actually come to fruition this year.
1: All right, for more on this, uh, let's bring in Craig Moffitt of Moffat Nathanson. Craig, it's always great to have you with us. Good to be back. What do you think happens here?
9: Well, look, I, I think the first thing I would say is let, let's let depoliticize it for a second. Uh, perhaps um, the president approached the DOJ, but let's assume that that's not likely the case and that this is really about a legitimate argument for vertical foreclosure. So here's the problem, and here's the reason that, in theory, it actually could raise prices for consumers, and that is that 70 percent of the world consumes Time Warner, or of the country, consumes Time Warner's content through some platform other than AT&T's. And so, as long as AT&T now becomes a supplier to its direct competitors, it has an incentive to raise the price to its direct competitors. And that raises the price to those consumers. So, in That's other words, argument, in
1: other right? words, I'm a Verizon Fios customer. I stream HBO and HBO Go. AT&T now owns H- HBO in the future, <laughs> and therefore I might have to pay higher prices. Well, and,
9: and- by the way, Comcast is a, is is going to be a, is going to be acquiring content now from its direct competitor AT&T that is also its direct competitor in direct TV. So AT&T has a price uh, has an incentive to raise the price to Comcast. It has an incentive to raise the price to Dish Network. It has an incentive to raise the price to everyone other than itself to Charter. And so there is a legitimate argument. Now it, this used to be dealt with through the law. There, there used to be a set of laws called the Program Access Rules that were part of the originally the ninety two um, Cable Act and then through the the nineteen ninety six Telecom Act that that were actually specifically designed to protect, oddly enough, Direct TV, um, now part of AT and T, from John Malone and what was then TCI and what later became Liberty. And they were they were there to ensure that there was no anti-competitive behavior. Those rules sunset in in 2009, and and what the DOJ is struggling with now is, without laws that protect this these kinds of vertical foreclosure issues, what do you do? In the Comcast case, they said let's rely on behavioral remedies, and in effect, they said, let's leave the program access rules in place as if they still existed, but in the in this case. The DOJ has said, we don't like those behavioral remedies. Mm -hmm. It puts us in the it effectively makes us have to be regulators. We don't want to be regulators. And so we need another solution. And their proposal is, therefore, either divestitures or we block this deal. Look, I I can't tell you whether this is whether they're going to win or lose in court. Um, I don't think anybody can. Um, But I don't think it's fair to say this is either political or that there are no vertical issues, because there are.
1: So as a telecom analyst, you, can actually, you see that the, the government's argument that consumers will pay higher prices, that is a very feasible thing that could happen, even as we are in the midst of uh, rock bottom prices for consumers for content in general.
9: Well, yes and no. Okay. I, look, I mean, the type of content that we're talking about here has, has been growing at above the rate of inflation for the past 30 consecutive years. And for all the talk about how prices are crashing. The content costs are rising still much faster than the rate of inflation. What's happened is the distribution margin has started to collapse in some of these OTT services. But the price of the content is actually rising even faster. You're
6: saying to manufacture the content or for the the consumer? The
9: wholesale price of the content to the distributors is still rising much, much faster than the rate of inflation much faster than the rate of inflation and so and that's ultimately what the DOJ is going to focus on is what does this do to the price of content and again to the risks that you said before AT&T would never have an incentive to withhold Turner content or HBO from from as wide viewership as as possible. That's not actually the case. Um, It is simply a math problem, right? It's if I would make more money by keeping that content to myself and therefore seeing my market share go up as a distributor, Mm -hmm. that's either better than or worse than the loss of the the content distribution. And if it's better, I'd do it, and if it's worse, I wouldn't, right? But it's just a math question, and it's not as easy to say they'd never do it. It's hard to do the math unless you know in advance, with some specificity, what do the models tell you about what it would do for your market share?
1: Randall Stevenson, when he was speaking to Andrew Ross Sorkin at the DealBook conference, sort of made the case, and he said this repeatedly during the talk that there are so many competitors these days, and he was he made the point to say Google and Facebook that they were also competitors, and so therefore uh, the damage that could be done would be less because there are so many more players in the field. Does that ring true to you?
9: Not really. Um, I mean, are they? Players, sure, but first of all, they aren't licensing that content, or most of them aren't. Google right. is now for YouTube TV, um, but would Randall Stevenson and at and in theory, have the ability to raise the price to Google, again, the wholesale price of that content, to, to disable Google as a competitor? Of course they could, right? That's the concern. And so, again, I'm not saying that at and will win or lose, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that that ultimately um, that that these vertical foreclosure issues are going to prove dispositive in the case but it, it is not fair to say that there simply are no risks of vertical foreclosure there certainly are and they that's that's the reason the laws were written way back in the early nineteen nineties and it's why these kinds of deals in media specifically um, have always been considered highly problem- problematic last quick question if you're an investor
1: in a t t do you want the deal to go through at this point or not?
9: That's a great question. Look, AT&T keeps going up as the deal gets yes. less probable, but that's not because people think the deal would be bad for AT&T. That's just merger ARBs that are closing, that are closing their trades. Longer term, it's, it's, it's a bit unclear as to whether this is good or bad, right? On, on the positive side, it's the only thing AT&T would own that's growing, and that's obviously a nice thing to have, because everything else is negative revenue growth and negative EBITDA growth. Um, and uh, it would help with your dividend coverage at least a little bit. On the other hand, you would come out of the transaction much more heavily levered. And that ultimately is probably a negative for your dividend uh, flexibility. So. It's, it's, it's not entirely clear whether this would be good or whether this would be bad.
1: It's a lot to go through if it's a, a deal that's not clearly well, positive.
9: And, and, I mean, think about it. This is a deal that was a $110 billion transaction. Remember, you have to include the debt. So right. $110 billion transaction when they announced it. And AT&T, when they bought it, moved less than 1% that day. So it tells you for a gigantic transaction like that, more or less, the market saw it as a push.
1: Yeah. All right, Craig, thank you so much. It's always great to have you. Craig Moffitt of Moffitt and Nathanson. He laid out a very
9: deep political...
1: Depoliticized politicize uh, so, so arguments. Me. I actually
3: think you said a very smart thing about what Randall Stevenson said to Andrew Ross Sorkin about the competition that they're going to face from Facebook and Google. These are companies that don't have any debt. They have tons of cash, and they have currency. And if they do decide to get into it, you know, this is AT&T, in my belief, moving their feet, especially when we know voice has gone to zero. It's really about data, and it's about distribution of content and moving around. So to me, I think they're not fighting against their their competitors in the wireless space and the content. They're, they're really, pretty, and in my opinion, they're positioning against what Facebook... Google and Apple are going to do in the next five to 10 years.
6: I think it's concerning for AT&T, though. I mean, they were desperate to do a deal. If that doesn't happen, I still think all the factors that were le- that were forcing them to feel desperate are only worse. Right. Because there's, right? no yes, there's no solution. Yeah, uh, there's no solution. So uh, I, I don't know what I wouldn't be long AT&T, even just what they are buying back. I wouldn't be long AT&T. All right.
1: Well, we are all over this story tonight as it develops. The two companies are hosting a press conference with AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson at the helm. That happens at about 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. We'll bring it to you uh, as it breaks. And uh, it is a mystery chart. One stock is up 230 percent this year alone. And investors can't get enough of it. We'll tell you the name and what is the street going crazy for this stock. Plus, the Nasdaq 100 officially entering its longest bull market ever, rallying for nine years without a 20% decline. So why is the top strategist saying it is time to take profits? He'll be here to explain much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Merck tumbling 2% today and hovering near bear market territory. Meg Charles
10: back at headquarters with the details. Hi, Meg. Hey, Melissa. Well, it all has to do with this big battle in lung cancer that's been going on for a while now with these new immunotherapy drugs. Roche is out with new data saying essentially that a clinical trial met its primary goal uh, in this advanced lung cancer setting. That affecting stocks both of Merck and of Bristol-Myers. And Merck closing the day down 2% there as Roche was up on that news. To give you a sense of the magnitude of this market and of this battle among companies, here for dominance. Matt Phipps at William Blair estimates at its peak it could be a $13 billion market in the U.S. and E.U. And if you remember, in the summer of 2016, Merck and Bristol-Myers diverged significantly on a disappointment for Bristol-Myers. So you can really see what's at stake here. But of course, Merck trending down in the last month on some concerns about its dominance in this area. This, of course, against the backdrop of kind of a bad month for biotech and biopharma in general. The IBB down in the last month, about 7 percent, as there are concerns after earnings Season, particularly for Celgene, long-term growth in the whole sector, guys. So, kind of a bad time for drug stocks. People hoping uh, to get some more good news toward the end of the year. Mel, back over to you. All right, Meg, thank you.
1: Meg Terrell at headquarters. Pina, Jerry, I go to you for the trade on Bristol Myers. Yeah,
7: well, Bristol Myers actually, I own Merck, so that, that oh, one's Merck, a frustration okay. for me because I've been watching Set this. Setback after setback. Yeah, setback. Yeah, but, I, but I still like the management. I really think they really, from the top down, I like what Merck has. But obviously, there's pressure, and when there's pressure, and clinical trials are going well in one of your best areas, lung cancer. That's something that I think is concerning. It makes sense, $13 billion business, but Merck is up for the challenge, I think. But I think the other side of it, too, is this is clinical trials. We we aren't talking about FDA approvals yet. So these are trials. They're going through the trials. That's all. That is something that is very, very important. But we've seen them go a little bit further than this. And suddenly, if you don't get approval, then what? Then I think Merck actually gets a
1: boost. Um, What does Merck have to do, in your view, though? I mean, it, it had the earnings disappointment, right? That right. had the um, the delay in Europe for European approval. Keytruda, yep. put, uh, in combination with another drug. Now what? Easy answer. Um, I think what we will
7: see going forward in 2018 is we will start to see the pharmaceutical space start to do some of the MA that we're seeing everywhere Finally. else in the market. Really? Finally. Finally? Well, really? We, we kicked it off with Gilead a little bit.
1: Biotech, I know, but and that worked. And really like like Pfizer tried Gilead, right? <laughs> I mean, it how, did pop it
7: up twelve billion dollars in it? market cap. Yeah. Well, over a week or so, or okay. a month. Petruder second
4: they being Merck, their second biggest drug, I think Genuvia is number one. So if you're going to see competition come in, a lot of analysts already downgraded Merck yeah. on potentially this happening. Now it's happened. So you have to, have to ask yourself the question, what is the right valuation? That Merck exploded from $50 at the beginning of 2016, 54 now. You have to ask yourself, as it gets down towards 12 and a half times forward earnings, hmm. does it make sense on valuation?
1: And I'm sort of in Pete's camp. I would submit, yes. All right. Our next guest says, "Stay far away. It is about to get much worse for big pharma. So listen up, Pete and Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Chart Master Carter, worth the Cornerstone Macros at the Plaza to break it all down. Hi, Carter. Hi. It is a curious
8: thing. We know that healthcare is the second best performing sector on the year, and yet large cap pharma, which are such an important part of of healthcare, is really uh, dogging uh, up only seven percent versus the sector up seventeen. But let's just look at a few facts and figures, and then drill down in some charts. What we know is this sub-industry group of the S&P has a total of nine stocks. We know that it represents a total of a trillion dollars. And if you were to look at the weightings, these are the top three, uh, some 70 percent of this sub-industry group of the nine stocks in J&J, Pfizer and Merck. And again, as a group, they're up only 7 plus percent for the year, healthcare second best performer, up 17 plus. They're not acting well as the technical expression goes and, and to my eye, there's more to come. Now, look at this setup. This is a three-year chart and what we've got is the S&P in blue and you've got this group, pharmaceuticals, in orange. The first question could be is why not play for convergence? Why not make the bet that pharmaceuticals will catch up? Here's why, because they're still so far ahead on a long-term basis, meaning this is pharmaceuticals up here, and this is the S&P down here. So there is no catch-up. They still are so far ahead. This recent underperformance, I think, has more to go. All right. Here's the trend line that's been in effect since the financial crisis low in 2009, 2011, debt downgrade. Just say we get to trend that implies about a 6%, 7% move from here. And I think that's sort of in the bag, very likely. And that level is about 580 on this index. So let's look at the here and now charts. Here's the one-year chart. And we have clearly broken trend. I mean, there's no other way to characterize that. Four shots and then a break. Well, were we to come down to about 580, that's going to be right around here. That would be exactly where the long-term trend line comes into play again, about 6 7%. And then finally, here's the one-year chart, same thing we just did, and this is the really bad part. This is relative performance to the S&P. So yes, we're up over the past 12 months and yet having broken trend, but here we are, we're making new 12-month relative lows. That is bad and there's no other way to characterize it. I think pharmaceuticals go lower as a group.
1: We don't have time to invite you over, Carter, but I did want to ask you specifically quickly about Merck, since these guys over here like Merck. Uh,
8: So stocks that drop in gap on heavy volume, the way Celgene did, and then do it again just days, weeks later, by definition, don't come back easily. And so there's something wrong. Just resist the temptation, I think, to think it's cheap and to buy it.
1: Carter, thank you. Carter thank braxton you. Worth of Cornerstone Macro. What do you I'm with, think, dude? I'm with
3: him on the technicals, and when you think about what Pete said, what he's waiting for is M&A, think about what candidate Trump said in 2015 and 16 about drug pricing, about some of the things. Think about some of the disasters that we've had in the drug space because of M&A and because of some of the pricing mishaps. Look at Allergan, down 33%. Just since the start of August. So, to me, I don't think that's really, uh, that's not a good reason to wait around in those names. That's my personal opinion.
6: Uh, for me, if you, you know, I can't wake up with a phase three failed trial and end, but if you want to play, if you do think there's MA, I would go with the XBI. You got a big, diverse portfolio, and you won't wake up with a huge disaster.
1: Still ahead, we are getting ready for the Time Warner AT&T press conference happening in just a few moments. We will bring it to you live as we continue our breaking coverage of this story. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast.
8: Wow, that was cool. But not nearly as cool as Volvo's deal with Uber to buy self driving cars. We'll tell you what it could mean for the rest of the auto industry. Plus, guys bringing the heat, pitching one retail stock that just rallied 20% in the last six months and hit a 52 week high today. And he sees even more gains to come. The name when Fast Money returns.
1: See you in court. That is the message from the Department of Justice as it sues to block the biggest media deal ever. What would be if it goes through AT&T's $85 billion deal for Time Warner. Those companies are holding a joint press conference. It's just getting started. For more on what we can expect to hear, let's bring in CNBC's media reporter Julia Borston in Los Angeles. Hi, Julia.
11: Melissa, when the press conference starts any second now, we expect AT&T to lay out its case for the legality of the merger and to say that the company is confident that the court will reject the government's claims. We expect to hear from AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson, AT&T's general counsel, as well as its outside counsel. Stevenson will likely focus on the fact that its acquisition of Time Warner is a vertical merger and that the DOJ has not successfully blocked a vertical merger in nearly 50 years, also saying that since then the DOJ has approved hundreds of vertical mergers. Also likely to note that the two companies, AT&T and Time Warner, do not compete with each other and operate in highly competitive markets. They've said that this merger would create more competition and would give consumers more choices. They've also noted that the DOJ approved a similar merger between Comcast and Universal back in 2011. Now, earlier in the month at the New York Times Dealbook Conference, AT&T's Stevenson said that he's prepared to litigate and to defend the merger, and they've been working on this defense for a year. He also said that AT&T will ask for an expedited hearing. Stevenson also saying that as they merge distribution and content, they don't expect to disrupt Google, Amazon and Facebook. They just want to have an opportunity to compete with them. So we'll be listening to that press conference right now. and We'll be back, of course, with the latest. Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Julia
1: Borston. Guy, what would be your question as we uh, listen for, for this the, press for conference? The-
4: for, like, who what I, who is the outstanding
1: I, question that you have in your mind about you, this whole
4: thing? I'll ask. I'm asking Mr. Stevenson. Do you think this is political? Yes or no? That's what that'd be the first question. you've seen deals like this go by. You mentioned it, the NBC deal. Is this a is this a political witch hunt or is this for legitimate business reasons? In your opinion, that's the first question I'd ask.
1: In terms mm-hmm. of just uh, the chances of the deal going through, what are you listening for? Well, I think AT&T? he's got to come out and
6: be as absolutely positive as he possibly can, regardless of what he really feels just to just as posturing. But that having been said, I do believe he really thinks it's a strong, strong case.
1: Yeah. You know, Craig laid out some interesting he points did. in terms of what an AT&T, Time Warner, could charge other distributors of that same content. And obviously, if it makes more sense for them to charge more because they have that exclusive content, why not? And for a consumer, maybe not in the AT&T family, but maybe in the Verizon family or Comcast family, that could be more.
7: Yeah, it's interesting because that, that was a pretty interesting argument that he made there in terms of... What would be the pushback? Throw politics aside. What is the biggest pushback? And I think Craig brought up a couple of different points. Hey, it comes down to the numbers. He didn't have the numbers in front of him. None of us do. But it comes down to the numbers. And if there's a way where they can price it, if they can raise the prices, but it's to less, it's going to work. If those numbers work, that's the direction they're going to take.
1: And I guess this speaks to behavioral remedies, right? Just as in the Comcast NBC Universal. I mean, if. But that doesn't even seem to enter the picture here at but this point. But maybe is it
6: really dead? I don't know. Maybe that, maybe that is the way out for both sides, right? DOJ doesn't want to have an embarrassing loss. These guys want to get their deal done. Maybe that's Wouldn't a way that out. Wouldn't that still
1: be a loss, though, for the DOJ if they went the, the route of the Comcast-NBC Universal behavioral remedies?
6: If they felt the remedies were strong enough where they could paint them as having been strong enough, then maybe well, you, that's you a know,
3: way. You know, you asked David Faber, you know, if there were any real, uh, you know, conversations about divesting stuff. and I mean, Randall Stevens said to Andrew Ross Sorkin, no, we are not going to be selling off, you know, CNN or anything like that. And yeah. if, if if the back channel discussion was you have to sell CNN, I'm not really certain what that does. But is the there r- a negotiation Steven. there? I mean, I- Honestly, is there any kind of... Obviously not, if they brought a suit. I mean, AT&T said they're not going to do it, and they they filed the the suit. And I think AT&T, I think Randall Stevens is going to stand his ground.
1: All right. Uh, Left side of your screen, by the way, that is the AT&T press conference. AT&T Time Warner, I should note. As soon as that begins and uh, the CEO of AT&T, Randall Stevenson, starts talking, we'll go to that live. But in the meantime, let's bring in New York Times columnist James Stewart, who joins us on the Fast Line tonight. Jim, thanks so much for phoning in. We always uh, like to get your analysis on the situation. What do you think? What do you make of all this?
0: Well, this is going to be a very tough case for the government. I would I call it an epic antitrust case, which it is, in two ways. First of all, is the vertical combination itself illegal? As as somebody pointed out, the government has not successfully prosecuted a vertical merger in about 50 years, and they have approved hundreds of them. So that's hurdle number one. Hurdle number two, if it is illegal, how do you remedy that? The traditional way was consent decree, behavioral agreements, Uh, And the Justice Department is trying to get these divestitures. So that is a radical remedy in a vertical case. I cannot think of any other vertical case that was held to be illegal where it was determined that the correct remedy was divestiture. So they've got two big hurdles to get over here. And we'll see. I mean, it's going to be, it's certainly a novel theory.
1: Um,
12: We want to go to Randall Stevenson.
1: I'm a bit troubled by it.
12: Jeff Bukas and I entered into this deal with really decades of clear legal precedent demonstrating how this merger would ultimately be evaluated. When we announced this deal, the best legal minds in the country agreed that this transaction would be approved since our companies don't even compete with each other. But here we are. The government has filed a lawsuit, and it stretches the very reach of antitrust law beyond the breaking point all of this in an effort to stop this combination. This comes at a time when the communications and media industries are undergoing some rather radical change. Massive large-scale internet companies with market caps in the hundreds of billions of dollars are creating tons of original content and they're distributing it directly to the consumer. This is disrupting both industries, the media as well as communications industry, and it's being done at a level and a pace that most of us could not have even conceived of five years ago. For example, Netflix. They distribute their content to over 100 million customers. Amazon distributes its content to its prime members. That's estimated to be in excess of 60 million. Google and Facebook, they reach and distribute content to literally billions of customers. And the government contends that AT&T, with 25 million TV customers, And Turner, with a single-digit share of all media watched, will have unlawful market power. This defies logic, and it is unprecedented. I've done a lot of deals in my career, but I've never done one where we have disagreed with the Department of Justice so much on even the most basic of facts. But despite our disagreements, we have offered concrete and substantial solutions, and as we head to court, we will continue to offer solutions that will allow this transaction to close. It cannot be lost in the noise that combining these two companies will create significant and tangible consumer benefits, and every day we spend litigating this deal is a day we're wasting in bringing those benefits to the customers. But we do not intend to settle this matter out of simple expediency. Because the rule of law is at issue here. Consistency in the application of the law is critical in a free market economy. And it's equally important for preserving confidence in our government. Confidence that they will fairly adjudicate the matters brought before them. When the government suddenly, and without notice or any due process, discards decades of legal precedent, businesses large and small are left with no guideposts. Every business combination or significant investment becomes subject to the whim of a regulator. As we're seeing here, that tends to be a roll of the dice. We have no intention of proposing a solution that is beyond what the rule of law would require. And if there are legitimate concerns, there are plenty of solutions within the precedent as well as within the DOJ's own guidelines. And we'll continue to to, uh, propose those types of solutions to the government. So before I hand this over to the legal teams, I I do want to address the elephant in the room here. There's been a lot of reporting and speculation whether this is all about CNN. And frankly, I don't know. But nobody should be surprised if the question keeps coming up because we've witnessed such an abrupt change in the application of antitrust law here. But the bottom line is that we cannot and we will not be party to any agreement that would even give the perception of compromising the First Amendment protections of the press. So any agreement that results in us forfeiting control of CNN, whether directly or indirectly, is a non-starter. We believe quite strongly that any divestiture of AT&T assets or Time Warner assets is not required by the law. And we have no intention of backing down from the government's lawsuit. We are in this to win. And absent a reasonable compromise that doesn't violate our principles, we expect to do just that. So I'm going to turn it over to David. Sure.
4: Just to underscore Randall's point on the rule of law. I and
1: we've been listening to at CEO Randall Stevenson laying out his uh, counter-events to murder the, the Department of Justice's lawsuit, which was lawsuit filed this afternoon to block uh, the merger with Time Warner. Um, he, he went to great lengths to explain the competition out there, which includes... Amazon, which includes Google, with their customers, uh, and then to also simply address that question that Guy had, which was, is this about CNN? Is this political? Stevenson saying, I don't know.
4: Which is the right answer. I mean, there should be no other answer he would give. He doesn't know, so why give an answer categorically one way or another? But I think he beat the—I think he was smart to beat the reporters to the punch in terms of the first question out of the gate.
6: Yeah. But to me, the most interesting thing he said is we'll continue, continue to try other, other, other remedies, I guess. I don't know if that was the word he used, even as we go to court. So maybe there The, so, the door is open, potentially. Uh, yes. Well, potentially. No, but he said he's not
3: going to divest any I AT&T understand assets. When he gets back any... to
6: that behavioral remedies issue, right. right? If he were coming to some sort of pricing deal... Maybe yeah. that's it out. Yeah, he said he's I mean, offering
7: solution. solutions. he'd offer solutions to try to get this deal done. Sure. Not that he's bending, not doing anything. But giving anything up CNN wrong. is a
1: non starter. Right. A no go. Absolutely.
7: Yeah. Did address that right away.
1: All right, I want to bring back in uh, James Stewart, columnist with the New York Times. Uh, Jim, thanks for sticking with us. What did you sure. make in terms of the case that Randall Stevenson was laying out?
0: Well, I think he, he he was very articulate. He made a very good case on several points, certainly on the law, on the competitiveness of the industry, of the inappropriateness of divestiture remedies. But he did say something there. He said, you know, every day we wait is a day the consumer does not benefit from this merger. He said there are all these benefits. AT&T doesn't have the burden of proof in this case, but in the court of political opinion, they do. They have got to get out there and explain. Why is this better for the average consumer? He stopped, has stopped short of being specific about that. He needs to sell that point. And secondly, I think he has to address the main objection that a lot of people have to this, which is somehow it is just too big. It's putting too much power in the hands of too few people and specifically him. So they have to indicate why isn't this, like, bad somehow, that you now have this behemoth company, AT&T, which, you know, has a huge consumer base, Time Warner, which is uh, such an important player in content, and I think they can do those things. I mean, again, when he's talked about the rule of law. If your argument against this is big as bad, well, how do you interpret that? How do you apply that? How big is bad? Is it big? Is big bad in some industries but not others? Is media a special case? Is it different from steel? Is it different from shoes? I mean, that is a standard that nobody is really not objective.
1: Uh, Jim, you know, I, I thought that while Randall Stevenson made a compelling case, he didn't directly address, as you mentioned, the government's point, which is that it would result in higher prices for the consumer. Your, the flip side of that is that he didn't say how it would benefit the consumer. Yeah. But he didn't—he didn't, he no, didn't think, actually address the government's argument.
0: No, they're going to have to do that. They've got to rebut that, and I think you know, I—I I want to see the government's complaint in detail, which I haven't seen yet, but. The argument that it's going to be higher prices, that somehow AT&T can charge more for Time Warner content than Time Warner does, is not self-evident to me. I mean, Time Warner, if they're rational, is already charging as much as they can get away with to maximize their profit. That doesn't change. That competitive landscape does not change in the slightest. The argument that AT&T would somehow charge more to other carriers of Time Warner content First of all, that's your legal already under price discrimination under the antitrust laws. And secondly, it is typically uh, taken care of with an agreement that you won't do that, and that can be pleased. Uh, NBC had agreed to that to, as part of the Comcast merger. So it isn't clear to me that you necessarily will get higher prices. Uh, and if you, if you did, I, it's not a profit-maximizing profit strategy for AT&T. And I think, you know, the, the antitrust division talks about the free market, I think you can trust free market to, um, you know, to make sure that they're going to engage in a competitive way.
1: All right. Jim, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for phoning okay. in. Always appreciate Thank your time. You. Uh, James Stewart, New York Times columnist. We want to bring in Craig Moffitt of Moffitt Nathanson, who is good enough to stick around to, through the press conference. What did you make of what Stevenson had to say?
9: I think he makes a good case. Um, I think, as, as Jim just said, though, he, he's, he would be well served to really make the case for why this benefits consumers. What is the case that they could make? The case they would make is that they will directly offer lower prices to their consumers. Um, and it, it, the funny thing is, I think normally you would have expected a consent decree with behavioral remedies that that could have protected against them trying to charge more to their competitors. Um, the harder part here um, is, is the risk that... Uh, and I just had a chance to look at the DOJ's complaint a little bit. Um, it's long, but but getting through part of it, one of the things the DOJ is concerned about is that AT&T might withhold content from virtual competitors, even virtual competitors that don't exist yet, say an Amazon or someone that wants to get into this space and hasn't yet, Uh and that you could effectively prevent new competition. Um, again, that's something that, that in the Comcast NBC case, they dealt with relatively easily with, with behavioral remedies. Um, and by blocking the path to behavioral remedies, the DOJ has made it harder for themselves here, because now you have created a very high bar of trying to prove this is a violation of antitrust law. And I have got to say, I'm, I'm very surprised that the DOJ decided to do this. I would have thought that the DOJ would have settled with behavioral remedies, which would have been probably good enough, um, but when, when Rahim gave a speech at the ABA earlier or last week, saying how, how much he dislikes behavioral remedies. He'd, he'd effectively painted himself in a, into a corner mm-hmm. quite intentionally that said that's not on the table, this is the only path, and now here we are.
1: All right, uh, Craig, thank you. Thank you for sticking around. Craig Moffitt of Moffitt Nathanson. Dan, what do you think?
3: Well, you know, we, there was a guest on the Closing Bell who, who brought up the um, the Tribune-Sinclair merger, and the FCC just extended the comment period of that. And th- that one will be really interesting, because they, too, get to about 70% of the U.S. households, and that's one that's very right-leaning. So, you know, I think the politics thing is important. I disagree with Guy when he said, well, he doesn't know. I think the fact that Randall Stevenson, um, when asked about the question about CNN, whether it's politicized, the fact that he says, I don't know, leans to this, uh, you know, to me, it means I suspect so.
1: Well, I think I think the follow-up by saying, but there was such an abrupt change. Right. right so what I'm in, saying is, so this Tribune,
3: this Tribune Sinclair thing's gonna be really important, and if it gets rectified prior to, uh, you know, when this thing gets, uh, you know, th- this could dictate what happens with the AT and Time warning. deal.
7: Pete, you know, uh, you, you bring that up. You're, you're talking about some of that stuff there. It's it's interesting to listen to what Craig's talking about here, though, because I don't know that he addressed the, the competition level well enough, Randall. And when you said. His answer was, "I don't know." It absolutely he knows, and and, and yeah. that I think was something we all could read right through, and you right. could see him saying, "You know what? There's a lot going on behind the scenes. I just something don't." Something has to... changed, right? Something <laughs> has changed. I think that said it all right there. But you know, this is going to be a fight. It's going to be a brutal fight. It seems like.
6: Yeah, it's a little irony to me that they want everyone to be able to the government get fake news, right? <laughs> I
1: mean, I don't know. That's what seems to me. They want to make sure the distribution Everybody, is fair, yes. it won't cost anybody right. anything more. I'm sure he has <laughs> an opinion. That wasn't my point. But
4: the right <laughs> answer is, I don't know, because right, in a, right if you're yeah, playing the legal no, game, no. he doesn't know. So right. why, why say he has an opinion when he doesn't have to? He just shuts down that question from being asked because he addressed it but already. Based on
1: what we've heard tonight, do you have any opinion as to which way the deal goes?
4: Which way the deal goes yeah. doesn't go we've now.
1: We've now we've we have a glimpse of the government's case. We have a glimpse of what uh, Randall Stevenson says. I th-
4: it feels as Quickly. if it's going to be prolonged. Does not happen. Pete yeah. spoke about the options market, so That's a
1: camp on that. All right. We've got to take a break here. Don't go anywhere. We've got much more on this very busy fast money. CTS. Welcome back to Fast Money. Busy night, but we've got time for a fast pitch. Guy Dimey's at the Plaza with one hot stock that says it's a buy, Guys, We
4: don't have a lot of time here, folks, so I'm going to pitch Dollar Gen. Why am I pitching Dollar Gen? It was a disaster in 2016. And, yeah, it was a disaster. But look what this stock did. Traded down at the end of 16, basically held $70, held $70 all through this year then slowly been climbing why I think I know the reason why last quarter not good but inventories were only up about five point nine percent year-over-year their sales growth was north of eight percent what does that mean for this quarter coming up means their margins are going to improve the analysts are starting to pick up on that you are starting to see some upgrades look at what Dollar Tree has done recently I think that augurs well for Dollar Gen. And my last point, because we're running short on time, valuation. Both Dollar Tree and Dollar Gen traded a discount to their historical norms. I think those, and you see the chart here, I think those stocks will start to peak back up to levels we saw three or four years ago, closer to 18 and a half, 19 times forward earnings. And I think Dollar Gen trades up to $98 and tests its old all-time high. Back to you, Mel.
1: Anybody have a quick question for Guy?
7: Guy, how do you determine between Dollar General right now and Dollar Tree?
4: I I mean,
1: don't know ter- I'll don't
4: i tell you what. It's a yeah. great question, Pete. Yeah. I know, I'll know. i tell you what, because Dollar Tree's had its move, and I think they report earnings tomorrow, and I think you're going to get some follow-through. But Dollar Tree, in terms of stock, is about three to five weeks ahead of what I think Dollar Gen is going to do. So if you look, Dollar Tree's already retraced that whole move from 2016. Dollar Gen is probably in the sixth and a half, seventh inning. Guy, why does this retailer that's growing earnings and sales in single digits
3: deserve to trade 19 times?
4: Because I think their margins – well, I think historically they trade there. I agree with you in terms of sales growth that's been weak. But I also think they're not as Amazonable as the market suggests. Got it. All
1: right, <laughs> we got to vote. Dan threw me all off. All right, Pete, vote. Guys, ready? Quick.
7: Not Amazonable as Amazonable as you you're said. a buyer. Dollar G buy.
1: Uh, I got a meh. Not a buy. Oh, no, you're gonna miss the vote. I'm, oh, I'm with Karen. Oh, two sells, two sells, one buy. All right. Um, I know you're shocked. Um, no time to vote them. on Twitter, unfortunately. But you know, let us know what you think. We do have a poll up. You got like two minutes to vote, so go right now at CNBC <laughs> Fast Money. The results and final trades right. After this, cue the drum roll. You know who doesn't shop at the dollar store? <laughs> Tony Braxton. Uh, 54% of you in that short amount of time voted no to Guy's fast pitch on Dollar General. It's a great pitch. Uh, time for the Thanks, final Keith. trade,
7: Pete. I love the discounters. Dollar Tree, yeah. not Dollar
6: General. Uh-oh. Going higher, it.
3: Not Dollar
1: General, Dollar Tree.
6: Karen. Yes, I've been thinking inflation is coming for a while. TBT.
3: Long. Yeah, for you uh, OA fans, I think you can play at and with long calls or call spreads.
6: <laughs> Boy!
3: You're How talking you all three of them? <laughs>
4: <laughs> That's a Me? Yeah. Oh I, I, I love right. the OA. <laughs> <Okay. Okay. laughs> a lot happened in this show. We brought yeah. the guests back a couple times. Moffitt's yeah. the best. It's our Jen, sister.
1: All right, I'm Melissa Lee, thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at five more fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
3: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At p it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals.